We are so glad you've joined us today for our Thursday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we are continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. Well, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Kind of neat to be back in 2 Samuel again. We do finish all of chapter 9. Of course, it's only 13 verses. I like these short chapters, and I can, I'm pretty sure I'll get done with the chapter. That's what I kind of like about these. <laughs> They're like 40 verses. Eh, it might be a three-parter. But with 13, I think we'll get through that. You might recall up until this point that David has now brought the nation of Israel into unity. Uh, all the tribes are now under David's authority. All tribes are pro- professing David as their king. David has now made Jerusalem its capital. He has brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. It's right after this that God makes a covenant with David, and he tells David that he will establish his kingdom with the descendant of David to reign forever. It was there in chapter 8 that we see uh, kind of a summary of David's conquests uh, that expands the territory of Israel and establishes the land. Uh, So Israel can now kind of dwell safely within its uh, new borders here. And so as we approach here in chapter 9, I want us to understand from the time that Saul has now died uh, in that battle with the Philistines, we're talking about 20 years, maybe about 25 years has gone by. So in verse 1, it says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now we're going to go through this, and I'm just going to give a quick commentary, and then we're going to go back okay, into these verses, because I, I, we, we see some really interesting things here. Uh, and, and so David says, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I show the kindness of Saul? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Now, in 2 Samuel 4.4, we meet who this guy is. His name is Mephibosheth. And so we read in 2 Samuel 4 that Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. That's plural, both his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell, became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So it would seem that upon hearing the bad news that Saul and his sons had died in battle, not all of his sons, but his two older sons had died in battle, uh, that the fear was that the Philistines would now come to Saul's household and want to destroy all of his descendants. And so the nurse there grabs Mephibosheth and in haste he falls and somehow he hurts his feet and he's lame from then on. And so... In verse 4 of 2 Samuel 9, it says, So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amelia, in Lodabar. That's going to be interesting here in a moment. Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makir, the son of Amelia, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself And then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. 
So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. So up to this point, Mephibosheth and David have not had any sort of relationship. It was probably because Mephibosheth probably wanted it that way. He probably avoided David because he was probably fearful of this new regime. Uh, And so Mephibosheth is probably thinking as he's being brought to David that this is probably the end, that David's going to want revenge on Saul's household. And that's probably one of the reasons why David said, do not be afraid, right? So he was obviously fearful. Um, David ends up giving back all the lands that belonged to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth must have known that those lands belonged to him, being that he is the remaining um, descendant of Saul, but he doesn't go ask for them because he kind of wants to lay low. He wants David to think that there isn't any descendants of Saul, and, and so he obviously is somewhat fearful here. And so David goes against all custom in showing such kindness to an heir of a former dynasty, which is amazing. And then in verse 8, it said, Then he bowed himself and he said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Hmm. So Mephibosheth doesn't feel worthy of such generosity. Um, probably all the years of, in hiding there at Lodabar, living in fear and poverty made him think maybe he was worthless at that point, lame in his feet. Verse 9, the king called Aziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. You shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord has, king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Hmm. So those who eat at the king's table like the king's sons. What do you think that means? Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. So Mephibosheth is obviously older now, uh, and he is married, and he has a son. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his Mephibosheth. You have to say that over and over again. I know I practiced it quite a bit before I came up here so I can get that word out. Okay, Mephibosheth. Uh, now, a few things here. I want us to look at this first, first verse. Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? I would ask you this. This is a great attitude to have. And I, I had to ask myself this um, because, not just because it's the holiday season and Christmas is upon us, but it definitely does speak to us about those in need and, and, and Christmas and stuff like that. But I began to ask because my wife and I do this every so often, Lord, is there someone that you want us to show kindness to? And the answer would be, well, Dave, everyone, I get that. But in a particular way that would help meet their need. I love this attitude of David. I want you to understand something here. Here we have probably, as we go through David's life, probably the high point of David's life. 
if you think about this just for a moment, David is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world at this point. Okay, he is the undisputed king there in Israel. All his neighbors, um, all his enemies of the neighboring lands he has defeated. And what does David do? He doesn't relish in the fact that, ha, 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 I'm king. He's not boasting about his own accomplishments. He's not, not self-aggrandizing uh, uh, himself or anything like that. Instead, David is thinking about in his position of power. He is thinking about how he can do kindness to someone. How can I help someone out? And it isn't to show kindness like, you know, um, you know, giving him uh, 50 cents or buying him a cup of coffee. He's really looking to do someone well. And I think this is probably the attitude we should have all the time. Father, show me someone that I can show kindness to. Is there someone of need? Someone that I may help? Now, I, I, I would submit to you that sometimes God might be silent with that because it's going to be in two weeks he's going to show you who that person is or maybe a month from now. I find it interesting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Isn't that crazy? Not only are we supposed to work in order to provide for a family, and, and those who don't provide for their own family is an anathema, the Bible says. That if you do not work, you should not eat, the Bible says. And believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to work. We need to be able to provide for our families. And not only are we supposed to work and provide for our families, but God's word tells us that not only are we supposed to work, provide for our families, but we should be putting away a little bit to help those in need. So when that opportunity comes up, you can pray about it and, and, and you guys can go, wow, let, let's help these people out. Let's help this person out. We should always be setting aside a little something in order to help those in need. Now, David obviously is the king of Israel. He has all sorts of wealth at his disposal. And instead of just bringing it upon and relishing on himself, he doesn't do that. He's thinking about how can I minister to someone else? Is there anyone who's left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness? Yes, for Jonathan's sake. But can I ask you something? As someone who is now part of the new dynasty, uh, someone who has been persecuted by a certain family, would you really be thinking that that's the first place you'd want to bestow kindness is on somebody that has been persecuting you, throwing spears at you, trying to chase you around with an army to kill you? And then when you're in the place where you have the advantage, you're not there to exact revenge. But instead, upon that household that has brought you so much grief, you're looking to do kindness to them. Wow. Wow. And so he thinks of Saul's house. For what reasons? Jonathan's sake. I want to point something out to you here that I find very fascinating that going through it, I had never seen this before and and the more I studied, the more I saw it. But there is a typology here, and it's a different typology. We see a, a typology with David being like Jesus Christ, you know, sitting there, ruling there in Jerusalem, knowing that his seed is going to rule there forever, which speaks of Jesus himself. We see David time and time again as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would submit to you here that David is actually a type of God the Father, 
that if we look at all the players here, Saul's kind of the type of Adam. Jonathan's the type of Jesus here. David becomes a type of God the Father. Mephibosheth is a type of fallen humanity. And David's table, type of the redeemed in Christ, the church. Those who are least likely to get any kind of mercy or grace from David, you would think would be those who were mistreated, those who mistreated David, and those would be the household of Saul. Yet, it is just the opposite. Saul did indeed sin against David, much like all of humanity, the first Adam sinned against God. Jesus is just like, or Jonathan, I should say, is just like Jesus because of the covenant that Jonathan and David had with each other, much like God the Father had a covenant with his son. You know, as I was doing this, I realized I made a, in a sense, a a, a little bit of a mistake when we went over the covenants of the Bible back in chapter 7. And I didn't go after the first covenant of the Bible, really, and it was before the Bible. It was a covenant between God the Father and God the Son. I find this very fascinating. I want you to go to Galatians chapter 3. There is a relationship between God and Jesus Christ that speaks of a covenant that they have between them. The Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenants where promises were made, was not just made to Abraham, it wasn't just made to David, but it's made to Abraham and David's seed. Who is David's seed? Well, here in Galatians chapter 3, starting verse 15, it says, Brethren, I speak in the manner of man, though it is only man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Speaking of covenant, uh, the one of Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is, what does it say there? Christ. Christ means anointed one and speaks of Jesus. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ. So there's a covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ. That it should, be, should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance of the law is no longer promised, but God gave to Abraham by promise, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come, to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, again, this verse 17, the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. So the question is, when when was that really taking place? When God had this covenant with Christ, did that come after Abraham? Did that come after the Mosaic covenant? When, when, When did that actually take place? We know that Christ himself is the second Adam. I want you to go over here to Romans 5, starting in verse 12. Jesus is the one that takes Adam's place as the covenant head and representative of the human race. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, 
even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. So right there we're told that Adam is a type. He is a type of the person of Jesus Christ to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for by it one man's offense many died. Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. And if you read the beginning there of of chapter 5 here, we know that we are justified by his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous through Jesus. Moreover, the law entered the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So one man's obedience, Jesus being obedient to the will of the Father. The word will there could mean testament or covenant. It is the desire will. When you, when you have a will and testament, what is that? That is your desire, what you want to have happen, right? And so God's will would be his testament, his covenant, his desire. And so we see that Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father, and through his obedience of dying for the sin of mankind, many are going to be made righteous, those who put their faith in the work that Jesus did. In John 17, 4, it says, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying that about God. I've, I've done what you've, you've given me to do. There's obviously some sort of relationship, obligation there, some sort of agreement, covenant between God the Father and God the Son. John 6, 40 says, and this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus was saying, the will. His testament, his covenant, his desire, his, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up the last days. In Luke twenty two twenty nine, Jesus says, I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me. The word bestow there is the word appoint. He's basically saying, I appoint upon you a kingdom as my father appointed one to me. The verb there of appointed in the Greek means to appoint by will or covenant. It's covenantal language is what's being spoken of there. Christ was appointed the office of redeemer from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8. Go to Romans 16. Go to Romans 16, starting in verse 25. It says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. Meaning before that. There's a secret. There's a mystery. There was something before the world even began. What was that? Jesus Christ. 
but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. This covenant relationship of redemption between God the Father, God the Son was set up from eternity for the world even began. In the councils of heaven between the Father and the Son, they made a covenant together that Christ, the Son, would redeem the sinner by taking his place and fulfilling his obligations. You have redemptive love here before creative love of, of, of creating the world. God's love carefully planned man's future and made provision for every emergency. Think about that. That before man was even created, before man sinned in the garden, before man continued to sin thereafter, God already made a provision through his son, Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard that um, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link? Can you just grasp this for a moment and hopefully hold on to this? This is why a covenant relationship between us and God isn't very strong unless it is upon the covenant relationship first between God and His Son. There's a linkage there. We're a part of this because of the Son. So we don't hold on to our righteousness. We hold on to the righteousness that has been imputed to us. Because if we believe on the work that has been done for us, then that covenant remains strong because it's between God the Son and God the Father. And that can't break. That's really strong. But all the other covenants that were made between God and his people and with people, how did that go? There's always a breaking of that covenant, isn't it? Because even though we are faithless, he remains faithful. And so this covenant relationship, this love towards us is based on his faithfulness, not on ours. I love this about God. And this would have been really good to start the whole covenant thing with. <laughs> and as I'm going through this, I'm going, oh man, I didn't even do that one. That's the most important one. And that really is the first one. Do over. I wish I just could. It's tough to do. But that's, that's the great thing about um, you know, teaching God's word as well, is that a lot of times um, I'll come further in God's word and go, oh, I could have used that back there. Oh, look, that is really different than what I taught over here. And there is a, a humility that comes with it. Usually it's my you know, humiliation I have to go through, but it, it's good. It's, it's the way things are supposed to be. It, it, it makes everybody transparent. It helps everyone when we do those kind of things. So, coming back here to the typology that I see. Saul's family. It's a type of Adam. He's the first king you know, of Israel. Adam is the first human being. Um, Saul was not obedient, just like Adam was not obedient. Jonathan type of Jesus Christ, David, the type of God, the Father. We're going to see this. The reason why I'm bringing this up is, again, uh, the Father and Jesus had a covenant, so did David and Jonathan have a covenant.
Well, that concludes today's edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Amen.